Hello, all you beautiful people. My name is Travis LaRue, and I would like to welcome you back to About That. So with me today is Jake Theodokin. Jake and I were stationed in Washington together. We shared a friendship over finances and everything that kind of goes into that world. So, Jake, would you like to say something? Yeah, I'd just like to introduce myself as Mr. LaRue here did. My name is Jake. I'm 23 years old, and I'm just... A guy who's trying to make it. I got out of the Navy in 2022, so pretty recent, and I'm still finding my way. So if I say something that someone has better opinions of, it's absolutely fine. I just like to make that note before we start. Exactly. I mean, hey, that we're all just trying to make it and do the best that we can do, right? Absolutely. All right. So, a little bit about you. You are from the Philippines, right? I am. All right. So could you kind of go into like, what, what was your childhood like? And what was kind of the process of what was it like over there? And what was it like when you first came to America? Right. That That's a big topic. But when I came over, I was only six years old. Funny enough, I learned a majority of my English from kindergarten classroom and Fast and the Furious. So I had a kind of an interesting <laughs> vocabulary when I got here. <laughs> you learned you learn English from the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, my dad had a very limited amount of movies, and Too Fast, Too Furious was the very first American movie I ever watched, and that's where I kind of based my English off of. That's awesome. So did your did your parents speak any kind of English, or were they just kind of winging it along themselves? They knew English, but it was um, broken, and as you know, many places in the U.S. have different ways of saying things. Right. Like cola, pop, all that stuff. And they had a hard time transitioning from the Philippines to California, then California to New Mexico. So the the religion down there is predominantly, it's Christianity and Catholic, right? Those are the two big religions, right? Yep, and uh, a bit of Muslim in there too. Really? Okay, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Okay. And you, you and I were talking, and you said that you still do have a bunch of a family down in the Philippines. I do. Okay. Yeah. What island are they from? Because I, I was looking... And because I, I don't know the first thing about the Philippines, to be honest, I'm sure like most people in America, they don't know too much about it. And I saw that there was like, what, 7,600 islands? Yeah, there's tons of different islands. And even I can't really name them all. I just knew my general vicinity. Okay. And what, what island was that? I came from Metro Manila. So okay. the Americanized part of it. I was a city boy. Oh, okay. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. is, is, is that where most of your family's from? No, they're from... Um, well, my dad's family is kind of scattered. I don't know much about them. Okay. But my mom's family is from a place called Bicon. It's pretty much farmland, and but nowadays it's transitioning into a metro area. So, are you? Are your? Is your mother's family? Are they? Are they farmers or? Oh uh, well, my grandpa was a farmer. Do you know what? Do you know what he? What his main crop was? Rice. Rice. Okay. Is that? Is like the? Is that the main export in the Philippines? That's one of the main exports, but that was also like. Uh, he didn't really give it off to be main exported. It was more of a community kind of farm markets kind of thing. Okay, that's interesting. Looking at the population for the Philippines, and right. there was, I think, said a little over, close to about 100 million people, roughly. That's I, I can tell from personal experience that it was very crowded. The last time I was there was uh, 2015. Okay. So you might actually know a bit more about the uh, amount of the population than I do, uh, but I remember when I was there, crowded. Oh, I, I could imagine. I mean, I get that there was, you know, 7,600 islands and there 100, 100 million people, 
you got to think most of those islands are probably not very not probably very, not very populated. Yeah. The and the areas that are, they're probably just like you said, completely overcrowded. And I, from just reading about the Philippines, it's not a very rich country, correct? Not yet. It's getting there. Is it really? Uh, okay. There are some uh, ideas about gold there, but I don't really think about that a lot. Okay. You plan on going back anytime soon in your plans? Yeah, actually. Um, I'm planning on seeing if I can get a Filipino passport and becoming a dual citizen. Just okay. because uh, I want that freedom of movement. I don't want to be stuck to the U.S. Uh, as good as the U.S. is, Fair. I would like freedom to move to other countries. Fair. Okay. What do you think your your biggest challenge moving to the U.S. was? Was it getting accustomed to the English language? Or was it, you know, just how different people were? Or Well, the, the language, there wasn't much of a barrier. Like I said, I learned from American movies. Uh, so I had that handled pretty well. But it was more of... We were kind of out here, and it was 2006. We weren't making a lot of money, and uh, as you know, right before the housing crash of 2008, it was a it was a murky time. Right. Uh, that whole time was a murky time for us. But it was kind of due to lack of a better word as income. We had income, but we didn't really make it. I had to eat at a community pantry. It was I was in a rough neighborhood growing up, and. That was my big challenge, you know. All the influences, the drugs that were around, the... Okay. Trying to trying to stay clean, trying to not get involved with that kind of that bad stuff. Yeah, and there was some gang activity, too. It, was, it wasn't the best place to be, but I kept my nose clean, and that was probably the hardest part, not falling into the wrong crowd. Well, you definitely turned out good. That's, that's the positive. <laughs> that's the positive to all that. Um, Thank you. You now... An interest that you have is you are working on becoming a pilot or you are a pilot? I'm already a pilot. Okay. Uh, not a commercial one, but I'm a private pilot. And I'm currently working on my instrument rating, which is something that allows you to fly in clouds and um, not so good weather. Okay. So can you, can you walk me through, like, how does one become, like, the start the process of becoming a pilot? And, you know, what's funny is I actually... Uh, helped a couple people from our old section uh, become pilots themselves. Like you, Hutch is now a pilot or he's training to be a pilot. But how it starts is you go to your local airport, um, if there's a flight school in the area, and you ask for a discovery flight. And a discovery flight is you just walk in there, an instructor goes up to the sky with you, lets you take the controls for a bit, shows you how it is and stuff like that and seeing if you like it. Now, if you like it, they'll set you up with the flight training. So how, how much can someone expect to pay financially for this kind of process? I would like to say at least $9,000 for your privates. And that's cutting it cheap. I spent a year on my private uh, pilot just because of, um, I couldn't learn very well because of our military schedule. Right. It was hard to intake info, so it took me about a year to get mine. And I could tell you I spent at least fifteen grand on, on my uh pilot certificate that was out of pocket I, I remember when when we were in you and i i remember you talking about uh you know i, I saw some of your pictures of you flying and everything so i know yeah. i know you've been doing it for a little while what's you know what what kind of made you want to become a pilot was it just something you'd always been interested in or was it just you know one of those oh. random why not well that's a story and uh <laughs> so our good old everyone and i were discussing and i'm not gonna say his name but an ma1 
We were discussing on my plans for the future because we both talked about me getting out of the Navy. And at the time, I was really focused on getting my college degree, any college degree, my criminal justice degree, actually, and becoming uh, an FBI agent. When him and I were talking, he was like, okay, first off, you don't get a criminal justice degree just to go back into criminal justice, you idiot. And um, I was like, okay, I guess that's true. Essentially what it boiled down to was he walked me through my interests. I was like, okay, I like finances. And I told him, maybe I'll be a financial advisor. That also requires a college degree and a series seven test, I believe. And he was like, all right, well, what are your other interests? I told him I flew or I helped fly a hot air balloon in high school. So I told, told him flying. And that's when the, the light bulbs in both of our heads started going off. He called me an idiot <laughs> for not seeing this sooner that I could go to a college program, get my aviation degree, which would lead to a pilot's license at the same time or a pilot certificate, which would give me a college degree just in case I ever wanted to go to the FBI or be a financial advisor. And he said, I could kill three birds with one stone. And then he proceeded to call me a lot of names <laughs> and essentially boiled down to I was being stupid with my time. And so he sent me off because he's a pilot himself or he's in flight training himself. So he sent me off to Bremerton National to go uh, get a discovery flight. That doesn't surprise me though. Like the, the things that you just said, that doesn't surprise me of how he spoke to you. That is typical for how some of the leadership would speak. So what what, what is some things you've learned about becoming a pilot? Uh, this, this one's a big list. Oh, uh, one big thing is, or yeah, one of the biggest things that I've learned is a small mistake, if left uncorrected over a period of time, can lead to a lot of bigger mistakes and a lot of problems. So being uh-huh. being very thorough with your process and making sure everything is on point. Yeah, there's no shortcuts or there are no shortcuts whenever you're taking a flight because uh, as I've learned from personal experience is that not preparing properly and not completely covering your bases can lead to deadly results. I myself am lucky, but I've had, I've had numerous possible accidents in the sky that you know i wouldn't be here talking to you right podcast happened some of those were my fault but it could also be another pilot's uh, responsibility so if you're not only looking out for yourself and your own mistakes but you have to think are you in a position where other people can hurt you by accident as well i love flying like just getting in the plane and going wherever right but you could not pay me enough to be a pilot I I have all the respect in the world for pilots did not pay me enough because one, I am absolutely terrified of, I wouldn't say heights, but falling. Absolutely I, terrified. Yeah, I get what you mean. And just thinking of something like that falling and having no control over that makes my skin crawl. That's completely understandable. And for me, it's kind of the same. It really alleviates, or the, um, the fact that I control the plane kind of alleviates that fear. But I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. If anyone listening to this is thinking about getting into piloting, look at your costs, definitely budget, because be prepared to uh, be poor for a couple of years. Or <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> my GI Bill is paying for it, so I'm not that poor, but I also still have to manage my budget really well. Because if I'm not flying for the school, if I fly to Bremerton National Airport, it's at least $150 per hour. 
that you're paying out of pocket or you're the, the GI Bill is paying? I'm paying out of pocket if I'm flying recreationally at Bremert National. If I'm going to school at Gig Harbor, uh, Tacoma Narrows Airport, uh, that's paid for by the GI Bill. For fun and stuff like that, and for general practice, it is a, at least $150 an hour where I'm at. Oh, my God. I mean, I I guess I can understand that. That That's insane to me. I, are you wanting to become a like a commercial pilot one day, or is this strictly oh, yeah, just for like fun? 100 percent uh it's part of a multi-stage plan and the beginning of that plan is getting my commercial pilot certificate which allows me to get a full-time job as a pilot and later down the line can let me you know get into the real estate market but we'll talk about that later but i plan to end up at the airlines and i want to make my way up to captain do you have plans of like you want to fly internationally you want to just do local or what what is your plans for that 100 percent international man I do not want to stay in the U.S. unless it's Hawaii, because a thing with piloting, or I've seen on airline pilot Instagrams or any other Instagrams from big-time pilots, you get paid to fly a multi-million-dollar machine in the sky. Yeah. To go to these exotic places, if you if you have the right destinations, go to these exotic places and fly again, getting paid to travel. Really? I mean, I I always thought it was cool. Flight attendants. I started seeing things about flight attendants, how they get, you know, they're getting harassed by some of the some of the people and some of the conditions that they got to do. I respect. Yeah, that's, all, that's always their thing. Right. That's As, good. Especially for the women, like in that the airlines are very much in the the mindset of the old days where they have to wear heels, they have to have like they got to look look the part. Essentially, I I just can't imagine like the the physical toll day and day and day of just constantly dealing with all that all that pressure and you got to be on your game 100 percent in case something does happen yeah the purpose of the flight briefing that everyone that nobody pays attention to <laughs> was, you're in the airplane <laughs> I, was, I was about to say i have definitely fallen asleep during the flight brief a time or two probably not the smartest thing but you know that's it is what it is i don't yeah. know i don't know why but every time i i do fly i fall asleep within minutes we get okay. up we get up to like the cruising altitude and i am gone yeah that's definitely uh that's a luxury i i like to stare out the window and i can't fall asleep because there's just so many it's the fact that i could see this uh the world from about forty thousand feet in the air just that just something is is amazing to me it's it's amazing it really is i was leaving bahrain headed home and i uh-huh. i crossed I think we were crossing through Germany, and I saw the Swiss mountains. Ooh, wow! What a great view! I like. I, I took. I took pictures of them, and man, my my jaw dropped. I'm like, this is the only time I'm ever I'm ever gonna see the Alps. Like, this is absolutely gorgeous, and seeing seeing some of these major cities from that high, it's mm-hmm. breath it's breathtaking. Amazing. You see, and especially if you fly at night, I love flying at night. And see the city lights? Seeing, seeing everything, man. You see all the yeah. lights and just how populated a city is. It's it's awesome. Definitely have that here with Seattle whenever uh, I did night flights and just cruise by Seattle. I, I don't think I've ever flown through, like, near Seattle. But I, I can imagine just seeing Seattle at nighttime like I have. I can, I can only imagine how beautiful it looks. It was absolutely gorgeous. Okay, so you like you just said, you you got out of the Navy last year. Uh-huh. I got out in I got out in the beginning of twenty twenty one. So what what do you think was some of your biggest challenges getting out? 
Oh, boy. Well, one of the biggest challenges is definitely life gets way more complicated once you leave the Navy. Back then, it was just show up at this time, shut up, and just do what you're told. Basically. But now, <laughs> but now it's uh, you have the discretion when you get to come here. But remember, the later you come, the more behind you are and the more messed up you get. That goes for, that goes for everything. Once you get out of the Navy, you're free. But that freedom comes at a cost. You have to be responsible for yourself. If you miss whatever you have for me, if I miss a flight, I miss a flight and I am. And not a good day. No. So it's huh. definitely, you're on your own. There, um, there are days where I definitely miss being in, where I'm like, yeah, I think to myself, why did I get out? And uh, I, I, have, I hear a lot of our superiors in my head right now saying, oh, I told you so, or whatever. And I'm just like, man, some of those, some of those, some of the guys that we were stationed with were not helpful at all in the getting out process. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and and sometimes I think back about like, oh okay, I remember why I got out now. To me, when you get out, you have to bet on yourself. That is true. Yeah, you right. have to be like, I have a plan. I want, you know, I know what I want to do. I got, I got all these things lined up. People would always ask me right as they were getting out, oh, you know, you know, how do I get out and everything? And I'm like, or they would think about if they wanted to re-enlist or they wanted to get out. And I would always tell them, I knew I was getting out. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to support you if you decide to stay in because staying in is not for everyone. You know that. That's true. If you do decide to get out, I, I would want you to, I want you to have a plan. Because if you get out and you don't have anything lined up... Oh, yeah. It's a struggle. It is a struggle, man. It really is. And it's it's hard for... Especially... Say you join... Did you join at 18? I did join at 18, yeah. So you're, you're what, 22 right now? 22, 23? Yeah, 23. It's hard for... See, I, I was a little older. I was uh, 25 when I got out. Uh-huh. And so it's hard for these... 21, 22-year-old people to... The, the, the military is all they know. They went through high school, immediately into the military. So learning yep. about real life, about, you know, that total freedom that you get, yeah. they're, not, they're not used to that. And sometimes the worst happens and they, they struggle with getting out. Yeah, that's a lot of struggle. Uh, another struggle I could think of is <laughs> missing the boys. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, my yeah. God. There are days where I'm just like, man, what I would do to be back with the boys, all the homies, <laughs> seeing them again, doing you know, doing whatever we used to do. Yeah. And it that's that's the sad part about it. The people people are the reason you get out and the reason you want to stay in. That is one hundred percent true. But fortunately for me, I still live with the people that you know we served with. Right. They're still my roommates, so not that bad. It'll get bad in a couple months' time when everyone starts leaving one by one, and I'll have to also find my place and move to another city. It's it's part of the process, man. You know, whenever everyone going their separate ways, you you have to make an effort to stay in touch with people. You yeah, know, that's I, true. I, there's a, I'm friends with a lot of a lot of people I've served with on Facebook and on other social media, and I try I I try to make a conscious effort of talking to these people because. I just feel like that's the right thing to do. You know, we've, the things we go through, uh, the mental battles, the physical challenges we go through that connects us. And I think it is important to 
stay you know stay in touch with those people it also really helps for those that are willing to or want to get out that listen to this it also helps if you guys have a fund once you get out to do whatever you need to with because there is a bit of time upon getting out where you're like what do i want to do and you might want to have that money to find out what you need to do and on top of that you and i'm going through this right now i have some spare money to go visit people that I used to serve with. Right. Um, that's why I asked you what city you were in. Because, you know, I was thinking, all right, maybe I can fly out for four days. Or late springtime, early summertime, I'm going to visit Japan if I'm able to, to visit Addy. Okay. Oh, that'd be awesome, man. I That is one, Japan is one place I do wish I had gotten to go. I, I don't know the first thing about Japan, but I just feel like it'd be, it'd just be a neat place to go to. Definitely. And I, I would love to learn about the culture there. Oh, interesting. What, what I feel like a lot of people don't understand is, to me, it's important to know about different cultures. 100%. You have to grow as a person, and that is a big way to grow, is by learning about all these different cultures. And that was a shock to me when I first joined, was all the different races and all the different backgrounds and anything that goes in, that's involved with that, because I come, I come from a predominantly white area. There's, there's yeah. you know, there's a few black people here and there, not many Hispanics, if any, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, that's all I knew, and so when I got to boot camp and I saw, oh, there's a, there's a Haitian man, there is Cubans, there's Dominican, there's uh, Dominicans, eight, all sorts of any kind of Asian you you wanna you wanna talk about. Yeah, that was definitely a cool part when I got to boot camp. There's all these different types of people, and you, you're, you're learning everything, you know, all these different things about these people that you never would have thought about. I, when I went to boot camp, actually, I already uh, had a bit of that because the neighborhood I came from, it didn't matter what race. It was, we, everyone was just having a, a struggling time, white, <laughs> American, right. black, Asian, everyone was just trying to survive. So when I got to boot camp, I was way more open to that. It wasn't like I, I, didn't, I didn't feel uncomfortable, with all these different people it was just like oh okay you know there's what i can learn something from these people i can learn something from uh there was the guy that was that whose rack was right beside mine was haitian and i didn't know the first thing about haiti and so when he he would explain to me all these things and you know he he had the accent and he was just he was the nicest guy and then i met some guy from ghana and just all you know seeing oh they're straight from these other countries this is their first time yeah. in america yeah and just, absolutely and hearing about their life before they came and how why they came is just it, it's it's remarkable well you know in my division we were uh you know i was pretty open to everyone but you already know what happens to filipinos when they join the navy they, they fall into that filipino mafia stereotype <laughs> that, you, you can speak on that better than i can i, I don't know the first thing about it it's just i know if you are Filipino, you automatically get put into that stereotype of, oh, you're part of the mafia. <laughs> yeah. What and a I great mean, thing. And that, I'm assuming that happened to you? Oh, well, not really. I just happened to gravitate toward other Filipinos, and we kind of just hung out in our circle. <laughs> not a mafia in any way whatsoever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, I think that's more towards, like, I'm sure it's still around, but I think that was definitely more of an older thing and definitely something you would see on a ship, not so much on, like, a uh, land base. Oh, Chief's mess. Hey, hey, I, I ain't going there. <laughs> uh, I'm out now, so I can make these kind of jokes, can, but I still got to kind of watch out. You can make those jokes. Oh. <laughs> 
It's it definitely is. Uh, the Navy is very, for all its negative, there are some very good things about it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. We could think we could name a ton off. I could take. We could say healthcare. We can say education. If you take advantage of it, you can make money going to college. It's insane. Like if I never went to the Navy, I would never be able to pull off what I'm doing now. And we will get into that in just a minute about you know everything that you're trying to get into. That's. It's a big part. That, yeah. The Navy does give you a lot of opportunities to, like I said, to benefit from. It all depends on you. It all depends on what you want to what you, what you do with yourself. Now, and, but I will add, though, it's much easier to be in the Navy if you have more reasons than just the benefits. I joined, well, mainly because I didn't really want to stay in New Mexico, but I also started to feel like I had a bigger purpose once I was in the Navy, and it helped me grow as a person. But a person who just is in there for the college or the healthcare, they're not gonna have such a good time. They gotta find more than that, just stay in. When I joined, oh man, I I needed to grow up fast. I was not, the person I was when I joined and the person I am now, two totally different people. Yeah, I completely understand that. And <laughs> I, I think you were there, I think you were, uh, when you uh, joined our section, I was still the other Theodokin, if you catch my drift. Right. You, you learn a lot about yourself while you're in, and yeah, you, do. you definitely grow up. I mean, I was in section for a little over a year with you guys, and seeing some of the growth in some of the people that we were with from when they first got there to how they were when I left, it's a 180, man. They Some of these guys grew up real quick, and they grew up good. You know, yeah, they had some bumps along the way, but that's, that's expected, right? I got to say, I think most of my growth, and I could – probably speak for a lot of people was when uh, the cough cough hit that's when life really started to turn upside down for a lot of people and i could say and you maybe you can touch more on this as well when it comes to uh, relates to you but my personal growth really came when we got hit with the cough cough and uh, we were stuck in the wire for two weeks man oh man it was a weird weird time for me we could do a multi-part episode on that on that we, whole experience. We, we have to make an episode on antics that we had. Oh, God. That time when when we got, we were secluded during COVID, man, that was, to me, it flew by. Like, yeah, we were stuck in there for two weeks. It didn't feel like that to me. Really? To me, I mean, to me, it didn't. Just because we were busy all the time. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. Kept, it kept my mind off of things. And I, I wasn't thinking about like, oh, we have five days left we have 10 days like you know whatever i was just like okay let me get through today let me go home or let me let me go back i'm gonna i'm ready to go to sleep yeah that that's all that's all i would do uh i don't even want to say on record what i was doing because my story was very different but let's just say <laughs> i wasn't too busy uh hey <laughs> i'm I not a, a record but that's all i'll say about I, that that's that's fair i i, I can respect that Let's get into the nitty-gritty of this. You and I shared a connection of our interest in finance. Oh, yeah, you and absolutely. I, you and I definitely talked a lot about while we were in about finance. And I think at one point we're, we were both crypto bros. Yeah, and yeah, we were. <laughs> man, I'm still a crypto bro, by the way. I am not. I got the shaft on that. It was... Yeah, I, got, I, I heard. I, I got heard screwed, a man. Terrible story. <laughs> so let me... I don't like telling this story. But I feel like it is definitely necessary to tell. For those people who don't know, I was heavily, heavily, heavily invested in Dogecoin 
when before it got big. In total, I, I had only invested about $300, which is nothing, right, into Dogecoin when it was not even a cent. You know, I let it ride and then it, it, it blew up out of nowhere. Elon Musk was getting involved in it and it, it was just going crazy, right? We all remember that. We do. We definitely do, West Crypto Bros. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, you know, crypto, it's it's going to be big. It's going to do this. It's, you know, we're all going to make our thousands and millions of dollars off of it is what we all thought. I think it was about two weeks before I got out. Elon Musk went on to Saturday Night Live. And uh-huh. everything I was reading was like, oh, Elon Musk comes on to Saturday Night Live. Hold on because Dogecoin is about to skyrocket. You are going to be making millions of dollars on this. And at the time, I, I hate saying this, at the time I had $75,000 in my hand. Uh-huh. To me, that's a lot of money. That's that's more money than I have ever had in my life. I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do with that. That was like millions of dollars, right? That was a crazy amount. Uh-huh. I had $75,000 right when Elon Musk went on to Saturday Night Live. And right. I remember that Monday, oh, it, it crashed. I lost so much and yeah. the whole time is my my parents and my grandparents were behind me saying hey you you have a lot of money right now you need to pull some out put it in your savings account and you know mm-hmm. you need to you need to hold you know make sure you have that yeah and i was like no nah, forget that i'm you know i'm gonna let it ride you know i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure i never have to work and i'm gonna i had this whole weird theory in my head that I was gonna get stupid rich off of this, which yeah. it seemed like I was going to for a minute there. And man, it turned and bit me so bad. But I feel like it's important to tell that story so people can not make that mistake again. So I won't make that mistake. And people can mm-hmm. learn, yeah, you're gonna make financial mistakes. I have a couple of things to say to that, but I'm waiting until you're done with this great story. The moral of the story is listen to people, don't get greedy. That's to me. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. That's is the you know, big point. Don't ever get greedy. Don't get greedy with it. Take your win. You got to build. You can't just expect to just have all of that at once. You have to build and you have to save what you can. Well, yeah, my my crypto story is a bit different, and uh, was probably why I'm still a crypto bro. What ended up happening was I. So what I did was I put my money in Ethereum. Ethereum, as I noticed, because I wasn't really putting my money into the coin. I was putting my money into what that coin stood for right. so i looked up, and this is another rule that i personally have was is do your research on anything so stocks coins look at what they represent don't look at the value of the coin but look at what the coin represents and what i did or what i found in my research when it came to ethereum was that it was being used for everything you know when i go into the crypto space and i have to pay gas fees it's more often than not paid in ethereum there's a gigantic system that powers other systems. So there's games online that use coins that can that stem from Ethereum. So I was looking and I was thinking, you know what? Instead of mining for the gold, let me start going or let me go and sell some shovels and pickaxes. So people who mine for gold will buy my stuff. And so that's where I kept my money. Uh, Ethereum also went down, but that's because everything went down, you know, stocks, it all, uh, it all everything. Crashed. But right now, I took it even a step further. So I have my money in Ethereum right now, and I'm staking it, or and I'm even compound staking it to make an extra $2 a day, which isn't much, but it's $60 a month. It adds, and it's up. It adds flu- up. Yeah, and it fluctuates highly as well. So right now, Ethereum is at its 1500 point at the time of this podcast and it's still low and 
how that works out is one for me and i'm gonna say i have what twenty five thousand in it right now not much but it's there i have twenty five thousand in it on the low end if it appreciates when it appreciates that twenty five thousand can potentially turn into something much much bigger and i still won't sell because I'm also staking that time or staking that money and I'm using it to make more money. When you gain rewards from staking, it's proportional to how much it's being traded, the fees collected and the price of the asset. So let's say if it goes to 4,000, I'll be making maybe $5 a day after that. If it goes to 4,000 people trade it and it becomes a whole economy again, maybe I'll make $5 a day times 30, that's $150 a month. So it adds up very quickly, but it's also a guaranteed system where I don't lose. Okay, so for those for those people who don't know, can you explain what staking is? Yeah, I should have done that. Uh, staking <laughs> is when you buy your tokens, you lock it in an exchange or a staking system, and you can't pull it out. You, it's locked, it's there, you're all in. But what it does is because it's locked, it gives you dividend kind of money um, just for having it locked. And it's an it's based on an APY. It essentially is a percentage of how much money you have in the asset. So if your asset appreciates, the amount of money you have in it appreciates as well, which even if your a percentage that you're earning and reward stays the same, well, you do the math, you, you get an increase in rewards as well. So you're always winning. Even if it's down and you're quote unquote losing, staking means you're still winning even a tiny bit. So let's let's say I am brand new. I am, I don't know the first thing about investing, right? I have, you know, I have 500 to $1,000, you know, I've been saving up brand new. What do I want? What is some advice you would give to somebody that is starting out investing? Uh, there are a few rules. Do your research, and that should be underlined five times at least. Do your research, do your research, do your research, because it's much less of a gamble if you know what you're investing. So for those who invest in houses, you're not gonna invest in a house that has a sewage problem. You're not gonna invest in a house that has a roofing problem. You want one that is in mostly good condition that you are putting your money into. And that's the same thing when it goes for stocks, crypto. You look at the programs, you look at the companies that they represent respectively. If you think it's good, you think it's good. You really got to look at the cash flow and a lot of things and what they represent. Because money's not real. Uh, I was giving this talk. Money isn't real. Yes, money is not. Is It's not a real thing. Uh, <laughs> it is a... It's yeah. a concept. It really is. It is just a concept. What is real, though, is what your money buys. So purchasing power. Can I buy gold with my money? Can I buy a house with my money? Can I buy crypto? Which is, despite what some people might believe, a finite resource. You can't have an infinite amount of any cryptocurrency unless it's fake. The purchasing power is what's real. So when you put your money in something, just think about what it represents. You know, if you're buying a shit company and you think it's going to go up, well, you just lost the gamble. You got to do your research. Another thing to know is do not over leverage yourself. And by over leverage is I have a real estate mentor. He talked to me about this. Keep a lot of your money liquid. Only invest what you can afford to lose. Because just in case you do lose, you don't want to be in a bad position. So that, that pretty much covers two big rules. Uh, research and uh, do not over leverage. Other than that, it's more of you learn how to do it. You gotta learn from experience.
What type of funds should somebody begin to invest in? Should they invest in an index fund? Should they invest in a Fortune 500 company? What is something that you would recommend people and start investing in? Yes. Um if you it depends what your purpose of investing is and how much time you how much time you want to invest in investing so for those who don't have much time and they just want to put their money for it to grow in a safe way index funds and uh, things that that pretty much invest in other things for you so you have a balanced portfolio by investing in one fund that's if you don't have a really the time to learn about the ins and outs of it or do the research. So I would recommend that if you don't really have the time to learn about it. If you do have the time to learn about it, well, that's when you can get into more uh, specialized things like stocks, real estate, crypto. Overall, if you don't plan on really like learning about what you want to invest in, index funds. To me, I, I definitely feel like you can never go wrong investing in the Microsoft, Apple, anything like that, Facebook or Meta, I guess now. Yeah. You can you can never go wrong investing in those because at least for the foreseeable future, they will be around. It's just a matter of how much you want to earn because uh, when you invest in big ones, you don't really uh, – they've already won. So when you're investing, your returns won't be as much, but they're still very safe. You won't lose, but you won't necessarily win that much either. And so something I would definitely recommend from, you know, from my mistakes is something I've learned. Be patient. Yes. You cannot I can second that. Man, you cannot just expect to be to get rich overnight. It's not gonna happen. And no, like I said, I that is a mistake I have made more times than I care to, to care to admit. Is I would I didn't learn about this kind of stuff in school. And if I did, I didn't pay attention to it. And I feel like a big a big problem in America these days is not enough people are educated on their finances. Yep. That I mean, there's a there's a lot of guys that that you and I used to work with that would ask me, oh, you know, what, how do you, what about this, what about that, and I would just I could just tell them what I knew, and obviously I I'm not by any stretch of the imagination an investor like a big investor like that. I knew enough to like get me a couple bucks here and there. I just feel like the, if people start doing their research and start just learning more it's all right there, and you will make your money. Yeah, just have to be patient with it and don't expect to make millions automatically. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. Well, I follow a certain principle or a belief, so to say. If you want something done quick, you have to work insanely hard for it for and expect to lose a lot. Now, if you want to do something with surety, you work slow toward it. And by that, I mean, it's really up to the effort. You know, higher you climb, the harder you fall. The faster you climb, the higher you climb, the harder you fall. So can't say that there are no get-rich-quick schemes because there are some, you know, lucky ones out there that are at the right place, right time. So I can't discount the fact that there is. Right. But for most people, maybe 80 to 90% of people, it, they've got to work a nine-to-five for a while and get specialized in a skill to make their capital. And then they can work on multiplying that capital into uh, by investing. So... Whatever we say on crypto, and this is for the audience, by the way, uh, whatever we say in crypto or investing, just remember that there are no shortcuts. You still have to work. Neither you or I investment experts. Um, by any means, we're just guys who have a bit of money, who have some experience and know what it's like to start off. I'll, uh, before we move on, I would like to summarize. One, 
Do not over leverage yourself. That means keep money liquid. Do not have everything in investments. Um, I wouldn't say don't say put all your eggs into one basket because if it's a golden basket, that's the one you want to have your eggs in. But for the 90% of the time, you want to keep things liquid in different asset classes. So that way you have some leeway to move around. Another one is uh, you won't get rich quick unless you pull off some crazy stunt like make a revolutionary invention <laughs> or hop on a revolutionary invention. Right. So there are no shortcuts. Who is somebody right. that you would recommend, a, a beginner? Who would you want to, them to look at? A different set of people, actually, because when you're investing, you want to know, uh, you want to know right off the bat, what is your ultimate goal? Do you want, do you want to get into real estate? Do you want to get into crypto? A uh, little hint, there's no real good crypto analysts out there. If they tell you they can predict whether a price is going to fall or rise, they're lying. I definitely but, agree with that. <laughs> but for real estate, uh, Robert Kiyosaki is one. Uh, he wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay, yeah, uh, I'm familiar. Brandon Turner is one. He's on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Now, when it comes to stocks, everyone knows Warren Buffett. So, right. very strong Warren Buffett. That's who you gotta look for. And the other bigger ones are that I can't really think of. Other than that, you just gotta know. Uh, you gotta look at who's having success in your field that you wanna get into. Real estate, crypto, stocks, any investment. And just emulate what they do don't want to sound like one of those finance bros that you know that i get that get on social media and just talk about all oh if you don't have two hundred thousand dollars you know you're you're a broke boy but i hate those those I guys those are people. the worst burning passion. because not not everyone is giving yes i get okay we all have the same 24 hours but yeah. not everyone has the same circumstance there's other people yeah. and they have other priorities that have to take precedence. Uh -huh. I, I definitely believe that you, you know, if this is something, you know, finance is something you are interested in and you want to learn, get, at least get the basics of financing and learning to invest, use social media as your benefit. That's there, true. there are so oh. many things on YouTube and to, I, I, I've learned a lot on TikTok too as well. Mm -hmm. That you can, yeah, that- One of my biggest real estate um, discoveries so far have actually been from instagram and i ran it through i ran it through a, re, a real estate agent who has like 15 properties now and he said it was legit like it's not a well-known fact and i'll say it here is if you're gonna get a duplex or a multi-family house and you're having a hard time getting approved you can use projected income from it being a rental property and state that you want it to be a rental property you can use a projected income in your uh, and add it to your already made income to boost your chances of getting pre-approved. That's one tip that not many people will tell you. Well, hey, you heard it here first. Definitely something to think about, especially if people want to get into yep. uh, real estate investing. I wouldn't mind eventually getting into that kind of thing, but you got to deal with the people. You got to be responsible for all everything involved with that yeah and if that's not something you are really willing to do mm -hmm. you that this is the wrong line for you man yeah you have um, you have to fully commit i think now is a good time to tell you my plan because we touched on it earlier about what i really end up or what i end up doing in life and i think now is a good time to say and one i'm gonna be a commercial pilot go to airlines make that sweet sweet hundred over a hundred grand a year from being a captain but that's not the end goal the end goal is to use my real estate knowledge and contacts in the books that i have to use 
I'm essentially going to live like a poor man as a captain. I'm going to live like a poor man and invest like a rich man. So I'm going to buy just a ton of rental properties and just rent them out. Use my VA loan for the first one, then use an FHA loan with uh, projected rental income on the second one, and essentially have two rental properties right off the bat. That's what I'm trying to do. So you know and you can I, get two VA loans, right? Yeah, you can, but yeah. you can't use it as um, an your first, your first for one, your yeah. veterans that don't know this. You can't use it unless you plan on living it for living in it for a year. So if I want to buy two houses right off the bat, a duplex and a main house, I'll have to live in one using the VA loan with zero down, and the other one has to be an FHA loan or a conventional loan. You can't use a VA loan twice in a row in the same year because you have to live in the property for at least a year to use the VA loan. I actually spoke to a lady that is a realtor, and I was yeah. talking to her about trying to get involved with my VA loan, and she said it's yeah. it. You got to have the right realtor for that because some of these realtors don't know how to how correctly yeah. doing the VA loan process. So for the vets out there, you really got to be careful about who you get with as far as trying to get your first home. Yeah, 100%. There are a lot of people that could screw you over and you don't even know it. And they might not even know it. They might just put you in a bad position because they didn't know. I have a deep hatred for car lots now after, uh, <laughs> yeah. after getting out uh, of the military. I've found that some of the car salesmen will use the military as a benefit to themselves. They will make sure, you know, make these make these guys that aren't making any kind of money, your E1s, E2s, whatever, fresh out of boot camp guys all across yeah, the military. Those dudes with uh, Dodge Chargers with 30% APR. And hey, like if you if you can afford that. If you if you're an E1, E2, E3, whatever, fr- you know, fresh fresh dude in the military and you can afford that totally fine but just be smart about that because these guys some of these car salesmen will take advantage of something they don't really i i didn't really learn when i first got in was how to actually take care of my money Mm -hmm. i had i kind of learned on the go when i was like okay i I like to think i'm pretty good about handling my money now before i make any kind of dumb decision you gotta learn you got you have to make your mistakes for that I think that does it here. So just to recap, be smart with your money. Don't don't make any rash decisions. Talk to people who older people or people that you want to do business with. And yeah, real quick as, as a closing. Uh, uh, to add on that, your net work is your net worth. All right, man. I greatly appreciate you being here and doing this with me. Always oh, yeah, good to we'll talk to you. I, hey, you are... Yeah. Just have a lot more to talk about. Absolutely, just, you are yeah. always welcome back. Just holler at me whenever you're, uh, whenever you're free, man. Yeah, man. So thank you very much. It was a, it was a real pleasure being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. All right, man. Well, have a good one. All right, brother. Have a good night. I would just like to thank you all for tuning into this, and just thank you so much for the overwhelming support you have shown me. Feel free to reach out to me on any social media platform at Travis LaRue with any kind of content or recommendations you would like to see. Yet again, just thank you so much for everything. And just as a friendly reminder, you are loved. Be kind to others. But most importantly, be kind to yourself. Thank you all.